0: Hi, once again, we gather together to do our devotions. Today I have, well, before that, I just noticed that today is the 25th of our podcast. By now, I'm sure you have lots of questions, um, some counter views, um, perhaps some things that you don't agree with me. Well, um... My contact, my phone number, my email address are found on the website. Um, If you do have questions, feel free to email me and I'll try my best to answer within the next few days. But let's now look at four events of healing. These four events are very remarkable in different ways. The first was the healing of a leper and then the healing of a servant of a centurion. And then healing of Peter's mother-in-law and finally the deliverance and exorcism of two demon-possessed men. Each of these incidents are different and very significant in various ways as they show us love of Christ and the character of Jesus. Let's now look at Matthew chapter 8 verse 1 to 17 And 28 to 34, let us pray. Father, speak to us. Tell us the truths of who you are, how you look at your world, how you look at your special people, and how you look at the people outside of this special group. Show us, too, Lord, the secrets of your power, of your ministry as we follow you we may learn from you step by step we ask in jesus name amen matthew chapter 8 we we'll start with verse 1 to 17 when jesus came down from the mountain side large crowds followed him a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said lord if you are willing you can make me clean jesus reached out his hand and touched the man i am willing he said be clean." Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, See that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, Shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does this. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. When he arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men came from the tombs, met him. Coming from the tombs, met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, Son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's look first at the leper. The leper came to Jesus and knelt before him and said, "Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean." Lepers were meant to, were ordered to stay outside the city. They were to stay away from the population. It's curious that Jesus was near a leper. Perhaps he walked out of the city and there, the unclean places. The leper came to him. Lepers were considered contagious, infectious and pretty dangerous. Their sores were oozing and ugly. And it was terrifying to many people. The belief was that if you touched a leper, you might catch leprosy yourself. And so when a leper came kneeling in front of Jesus, the first reaction might have been to say, get out, get out get away from me, stay two meters away from me, safe distancing and all that. But instead, Jesus touched the leper. You know, it wasn't necessary for Jesus to touch anyone to heal. In the next story of the healing of the centurion's servant, Jesus was miles away from the man and the man was healed. So clearly, Jesus didn't have to touch the leper to make him whole. But Jesus touched him. That was so important so significant. Because for a leper who was shunned by everyone, no one would even let them come anywhere near them, much less touch them. For God, pure, holy God, to whom all things impure would be, should be cast off. For this king of kings then to touch a leper who probably had not been touched for ages, who had been shunned for ages, the touch itself made so much difference. It showed that he was Jesus was not afraid of him. It showed that Jesus had not rejected him. It showed that Jesus had embraced him. Touching is important in ministry. So often then we touch people whom we feel are safe to touch. But what if someone who had sores, whose body was not exactly the cleanest, came to us? It's often in these circumstances that touch is most important. It is a very human expression of our acceptance and love of another. I had an experience about rot and touch. I was in a church um, and had a healing ministry, just a few of, of us together. And every week we would gather at someone's house and pray and then we would move on to visit someone, anyone who was ill or needed prayer, we were a prayer team. But one day as we were gathered praying, one of the persons said, you know we've been praying for lots of people outside, but we've never really prayed for pastor, and pastor has a need. I had not shared this need with anyone, but it was very obvious. See, I had a rot, on My feet it started with one toe, the skin started to peel, and then it got infected, was um, oozing with some fluids and began to stink. I tried to stop it in all ways, wearing slippers and getting medicine and creams, but soon it spread to the second toe and then the third toe, and very soon one whole foot was infected. I don't know how the next thing happened, but the other foot got infected too. I mean. I tried to keep my feet far from each other, but I guess the the germs, the fungus or whatever, moved from one foot to the other, and soon both feet were badly infected. It was quite an awful sight: skin sloughing off, fluids flowing out, leaking out from the flesh. Um, the stench was terrible. I'd seen the doctor a couple of times, given antiseptic cream, given even antibiotics to eat. And nothing seemed to help and so there I was at the prayer meeting we were all sitting around in a circle on the floor and I tucked my feet right under my my bottom embarrassed and knowing that the smell was just filling the house not yours it was obvious and so when they said well let's pray for pastor he has a need they looked at me and then someone commanded me and said Pastor, stick out your feet. I mean, that was the most embarrassing part. And I thought my feet were well hidden under me. So I st- stuck out my feet. And some crazy person said, Now let's lay hands on pastor's feet. There was a long silence. No one was prepared to touch, be the first to touch my feet. I mean, after the first one had put his or her feet, her hands around my feet, the rest would put their hands on the first person's hands. But no one wanted, of, there was a long pause. And then suddenly one lady grabbed my feet and they started to pray. I can never forget this prayer because someone prayed, "Past Father, give Pastor baby skin. I felt like Sarah, Abraham's wife, cynical and laughing away. What baby's feet is she talking about? But when we finished praying, I said, Amen. Opened our eyes. One of the lady was sobbing very badly. We asked her why she was sobbing. And she said when one in the team said, let's lay hands on pastor's feet, she felt the spirit prompting her, you put your hands around pastor's feet. You see, this person had OCD. She had a terror, great fear of, of dirt. And now she was asked to place her hands around pair of rotting stinking feet and she resisted at first but clearly no one was putting their hands around his my feet the spirit again said to her put your hands on pastor's feet obediently and very reluctantly and fearfully she wrapped her hands around my feet and then she said at that moment the fear left her somehow god had used my filthy, stinking, rotting feet to heal someone of her fear of dirt. But as also as they prayed within a day or two my skin started drying up and within a few days, guess what? Real baby skin grew out and replaced the old sloughing rotting skin. Touch touch is important because it allows us to know that we receive and accept each other. The second incident is that of the centurion. Now a centurion is an officer of the enemy invading force. These were the oppressors. They were also Gentiles. They worshipped a different god. They worshipped many gods. But this centurion Obviously, had heard of Jesus's power and he had a servant whom he cared for and so humbling himself he went down to look for Jesus then he told Jesus what his need was and Jesus surprisingly offered to go to Centurion's house now it's quite rare for any of us healers to want to visit someone of a different faith and go to the house and pray for that person. But Jesus offered shall I go to your house? The centurion said, no, it's not necessary. I don't deserve to have you come to my house. But look, I am a commander of fiscal army and I call my soldiers to do this and do that, and they do it. And I believe you can do the same in the spiritual realm. This was very, very unusual insight. Here was a man who worshipped other gods, didn't think very much of the Jewish God and obviously the Jews being an oppressed group, how powerful could their God be? Probably not very powerful. And yet he understood the powers of the spiritual realm. He saw that Jesus indeed was God and he had this great insight that if Jesus really was God, Then Jesus had command over his armies everywhere. Jesus didn't have to be present, he could just command his soldiers where the sick man was and ask that this man be healed. Such was the amazing faith of the centurion. But you know what was most significant and amazing, remarkable about this story, was that Jesus praised the centurion. And not only did he praise him, he said, I've never seen anyone with such faith among my own faith community. Here was a man, an idol worshipper, a Gentile, a commander of an invading force, an enemy. And here Jesus was praising him for his faith. I'm not sure how difficult such praise will be coming from our lips. It would have been tough on the hearers, because Jesus then said, you know, at the end of time, many of these people, these idol worshippers, will enter God's kingdom, while those within God's kingdom, within this faith community, will be cast out. How hard that was to hear it. But perhaps even harder would have been for anyone to have said such a thing, to have admitted the fact that another faith community had people of superior faith to his own. Some time ago, I was with a group of friends. We were reading and talking about a woman, uh, a house-simple housewife who gave everything to help the poor. Anyone who needed uh, food, she would go out and cook for them and feed them. And one of them said, I bet she's a Christian. And then as we read the article more, we realised that she was Buddhist. There's a pause and then someone said, but you know these Buddhists, not real ones, now, they do it with ulterior motive. They do it because they want merits in the afterworld. And then the others began agreeing with him. But you know this, this argument doesn't hold water. Because why would it be that if it were a Christian, it would have been done out of genuine compassion, but if it's done by someone of a different faith, it's done with an ulterior motive that's rather hypocritical, isn't it? But worse than that, I mean, think of it, if we as Christians claim that any of our good works is motivated genuinely by our love for Jesus, and if that those good works that we claim are done out of our love for Jesus aren't even half as good as the good works done by someone who has ulterior motives, what does that say about our faith? I am sure that when Jesus saw what this woman did for the poor, he would have said, Hardly in my kingdom, hardly in my church, have I seen anyone with such compassion, such love for others. And he might have added at the end of time, and as he said it in Matthew chapter 25 and we'll look at that another time. The, the time will come at the end of the world where these people who have great compassion will come into the kingdom. And Those in the church perhaps who have done nothing of this sort, may be cast out. So. What's important is that Jesus admired the faith compassion of a person of a different religious group and that's jarring to the years. Jarring often imposes hard for us to admit. But Jesus admired the faith, the goodness of a person of another faith. That's Religious Harmony 101. But it's important for us not simply because we are we are Singaporeans. It's important for us Because that's how our master behaved. Would we look at a person of different faith and admire them for who they are, for their faith, for their commitment to their God, for their compassion, their generosity, for their goodness? Would we go to another person, a person of another faith and tell them, I really admire what you are doing and I'm glad I have known you. You One of the ways, the best, most effective ways of opening doors for us to minister and for us to reach out, perhaps to share why we believe in Jesus, is when we show admiration to another person, a person of another faith, and we tell them how we admire them, for who they are. It was the way of Jesus. He looked at the faith of the centurion and he commended that person. He admired that person's faith. Could we learn to do the same? As we reach out to people of different faiths, will we also be willing to look first at all their strengths, all the things that are admirable, respecting each of them? The third story is about the healing of Peter's mother-in-law. Now, what's remarkable about this story is that there was, I don't think Peter's mother-in-law was very ill or that this was an emergency. In verse 14, it says that Jesus went into Peter's house, saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with fever. So obviously, Peter had not summoned Jesus to his house to look at his mother-in-law and to heal her. It wasn't such a pressing need. It wasn't such an important thing. It was almost like Peter saying, Jesus, come and have lunch with me. And so Jesus went to Peter's house and then Peter, Jesus saw Peter's mother and said, "Hey, who's that woman? Peter says, that's my mother-in-law and she's got a fever. Jesus says, oh really? And he strolls over to Peter's mother-in-law and touches her and she was healed. It was, in a sense, an unremarkable, small, insignificant miracle. A minor healing, one might say. But Jesus cared even for minor healings you know one of the things then that we could begin to learn to pray for healing is minor healings sometimes we go for all the big things serious cancer stroke heart attack trying to raise the dead let's not start there maybe we could start with little fevers little flus and then allow our faith to grow as we see that god really does heal through us. I was first introduced to divine healing by such an incident. I was then a student and and, and, an undergrad, and I remember having a tutorial in the evening. I was very reluctant to attend this tutorial, partly because I had not prepared for the tutorial, partly because it was an evening and I wanted to go home, partly because I wasn't feeling too well. When I was going home, I met two of my classmates and they said, "Hey, so you, you want to have dinner before we go for the tutorial? I said, no, I'm going home. And he said, why? I couldn't tell them that I wasn't ready. I hadn't done my homework. So I said, got fever, I got fever. And indeed, I had quite a high fever. Someone put his, one of them put his palm on my forehead and said, yeah, a very high fever. And before I knew it, both of them had laid their hands on my head and they said, "Lord Jesus, heal Mingli's fever." I couldn't protest. I didn't want to be healed of my fever. I wanted the fever to be my excuse for going home. But the moment they said, "Lord Jesus, heal Mingli of his fever," I could feel the fever leaving me, the whole body, the heat on the whole body just leaving, the headache just lifting off. I was healed at that moment. I can't say I was terribly grateful because I lost my excuse for skipping class, but, but here it was, first time I ever experienced divine healing. Maybe you could try this too. A child has fever, your wife has a sore in the foot, in the toe, some insignificant or less significant illness, lay your hand on that person. That's to express love too, that you're not distant from from the person you're praying for. Of course, let's do that appropriately when we're doing it with strangers, but wherever it is appropriate, lay your hand on the person and then pray. And believe and know that God does heal. Now then, the final incident, that of the two demon-possessed men, Luke has a different account, very similar story, but instead of two demon-possessed men, it was one demon-possessed man. It's probably a difference in eyewitness accounts, but the story is the same. Um, the miracle is the same. Many of the details are the same. Now, what's significant about this? First, Jesus got, yesterday we talked about Jesus getting the boat and there was a storm. While Jesus was on his way to this place in gatherings, Jesus boarded and went up a boat, went through the lake, knowing that the storm was brewing, putting his, all his disciples into great distress. Of course, Jesus wasn't worried he was going to calm the storm, but it was a lot of effort. You know this was one of those miracles where people didn't bring. The sick to him, or the demon possessed to him. This was one incident where Jesus deliberately, intentionally sought out a man or two men who were tormented by demons. Jesus went out of his way to look for these two men, and think about the effort that Jesus put in. First, he goes into a boat, goes through the lake, knowing that a storm was brewing, braves the storm, and then he goes to that land place. You know this place is an unclean place. No Jew would go. How do we know that? Well first, the tombs. No self-respecting clean Jew would walk into a place of tombs unless they, they had to because of funeral. Because it is unclean. And Jesus went into the place, a cemetery, it wasn't just that. It was an unclean place, it was a gentile area. Why do we know that? Because there were pigs nearby. Jews wouldn't rear pigs, and Jews don't eat pigs. So the pigs were being reared for Gentiles. So this was a cemetery in a Gentile area. Looking for who? He wasn't looking for a crowd of people to minister to, a crowd of people to preach the gospel to. He was looking for two men who were so demented, they couldn't even ask him for help. Jesus braved all of this, going to an unclean place just to look for two men he might deliver them from the demons. Think of the effort that Jesus puts in to look for individuals, to look for people. It's a very important lesson for us as we open up our church to people. How much do we go out of our way to allow a person to feel welcomed in our church? You know, often we say, well if they Feel welcome. Our church good. If they don't, then we've got so many other churches they can go elsewhere. It doesn't matter. We we'll don't try very hard to welcome a person. If we saw people differently, if we saw a person coming as son, precious to God, chosen by God to come to our church, perhaps invited by someone else, and that person has disabilities, for example, has things that require us to change, to make effort to welcome welcome them, would we do it? Would we treat them like one of our own children and we would go out to learn about them and the disabilities? We would go out to find ways of making our church accessible, making our church welcome to each of these persons, rather than wishing that they would go elsewhere to treasure each of them? Let me tell you another story. Story is about a friend called David. David had spent almost twenty years in prison but he really wanted to follow Jesus. So when he came we got him to work with us for a while. while we working with us, we introduced him to a cell group in the church. You know, we were constantly doing that, looking for cell groups that are open to receiving ex prisoners. And so we placed him in the cell group that we knew well and trusted. The cell group people were very friendly and very generous. They met once a week for Bible study and on Sundays after church they would go out for lunch together. These were pretty well-off people and so since it was once a week they would go to a restaurant for lunch. And they made sure that they paid David's share of the lunch. They treated David very well. But David was unhappy. He wasn't critical of them, but he was just unhappy because he felt lonely. For one, he didn't like going to restaurants to eat where people paid his bills. He felt that that was rather demeaning. He wanted to buy his own lunch, and at times even treat his cell group members with a dessert or something. But on his salary, there was no way he could even pay for his own lunch in a restaurant. David wished then that they, they could live a bit simpler, more simply so he could be like one of them. The other thing that David felt out of place was the conversations. Each of these were senior executives in various companies and they travelled extensively. They were always overseas. And the different countries they went to were like their second home. And so a typical conversation, and I know this because I was at one of their small group meetings, the typical conversation was like, Hey, so uh, you know this shop in paris you know they sell really good foreground. you want to buy some or not i i buy for you the next person says hey i'm going to bangkok remember that street hey what's that street called uh? you were telling me about the fantastic noodles i want to go there and taste it and so most of the conversations centered around the travels centered around the family and the children and David had never left the country before, he was not married, he had no children, and he felt terribly out of place. and So he wanted to leave the cell group, but he came to consult us first. We told David that this was a good small group because these people loved God, were trying their best. and We suggested he talk to his cell group leader about all these things. And So David went and approached the small group leader and told him why he was so lonely and unhappy. The small group members gathered together, they had a powwow, talked about what they could do about it. And then they came to some rather radical decisions. First, they would have Sunday lunches in hawker centres. And occasionally, they happily allowed David to buy them desserts to pay for their meals. It made David very happy that he was able to contribute to the meals. Second, they, stopped, they reduced their talk about the travels and started talking about other things, about life, about spiritual growth, about what God was doing in their lives. It was a topic that David very much wanted to talk about because he so much wanted to follow Jesus. And so they changed the conversations to what Jesus was doing in their lives. Maybe the most radical of them, all of, all of them were already radical, was that they formed two groups. They found out that David loved swimming and running. And so one group would run on alternate days with David. They run long distances. David was a great runner. And along the way, of course, they chatted more and they got to grow closer. The other group went swimming with David. They did so many things just to adjust to one man wanted to follow Jesus, but who didn't know how to fit into their group. The happy story is that today David is the assistant pastor of that church, loving them and ministering to them. But you know, we, we really need to look differently at the people who come into our church. Some of them very much like us, some of them very different from us. And some of them really needing an effort from on our part to make them fit and feel at home in our church. How do we look at these persons? They are not inconveniences. They are gifts from God. How much of our lifestyles will we be willing to change just to help them to be a part of us? And this is something that's important for ushers and be especially you know your role is not a small role at all it's not about every Sunday no better thing to do just shake hands it is a very sacred role and I would suggest this every morning spend some time or every Sunday morning at least spend some time maybe 15 minutes half an hour in private prayer first and ask God to make you instrument of his grace and his love you know how powerful that can be. That as you ask God to bless that Sunday, bless the work that you do that Sunday, that you may have good conversation with a person, you may help another visitor or an old time member, whichever, feel loved in the church, in the community. That God will use you mightily to be a blessing to someone in the church, newcomer or an oldcomer that God will really, that at the end of that morning, you know that you have touched someone's life and that someone has also touched your life. Take that role very seriously and spend time praying that God will use you and bless you in that role. And then, when you go to service, continue to pray and ask God to show you anyone that He wants you to welcome, to meet. help to feel at home to be ministered to. You have a very, very important role in our church. And I want to encourage more and more, you know, welcome team isn't just an exclusive small group that, small team of people that welcomes people. What if the whole church was like that? What if the whole church prayed that God would use each of us to welcome another If this whole church could put ourselves out there to welcome people and to make them know that God loves them and that they're important to God, what would our church look like? And so as we look at these four incidents of healing, let's recap what the lessons are. The first, it's important to touch especially the untouchable. It's important to go out of our way, even those who are unclean, to let them know that they are loved and special to God. Second, to take time to admire those outside of our faith community, to learn from them, to see their faith and to see their compassion and to see their commitment to their God and to learn from them. Third, to start learning to pray for healing. I mean this is exciting. I once went to a camp where they taught us to heal. and They said don't rely on faith healers because God has allowed each of us the authority to pray for healing. And then he taught us um, lay your hands on each other. First he would just go through the diseases. You know, you say like who has a backache, who has a headache, who has high blood pressure, and then say those around this, these persons have raised their hands. Pray for them. And we saw many miracles that day. Um, just healing, simple prayers of simple illnesses. And our faith in God the healer started to grow. Try it. Simple prayers for simple illnesses first. And see how powerfully God works through you. And finally, go out of your way to make people feel welcome, accepted, loved in our church, because that's the way Jesus would want us to do. Let us pray. Father, you healed, but God, you healed not just at a distance, You healed when you engaged with the most needy. You healed when you touched the untouchable. You healed when you went all out of your way just to look for two demented men. Even though you knew that the village would not receive your message, yet you sought out these two men. You showed them that you loved them. Lord, we pray that you will teach us how to truly minister that as You equip us and give us Your authority to heal as Jesus healed, that far more importantly, You will work in our attitudes, that we'll see Your value in each of the persons You bring our way. Open our eyes, Lord, to see people differently, and to know that healing is not just a miracle, spectacular show but healing comes from love the love that you would spare no cost you go all out just to redeem one person teach us these principles we ask in Jesus name Amen well today was a unusually long session well we'll see you on Sunday um, do come once again an invitation to come for the communion because the communion is very important and significant it can't be done over TV it's something where the congregation the body of Christ gathers we recognize Christ among us and Christ ministering to us giving his life for us so I hope to see each of you on Sunday And remember, if you have questions, drop me an email. Thanks and God bless.